Hello and welcome to another episode of Steelfur Speaks with, of course, me, Steelfur, aka Finbar, a London-based uh, flesh and blood and other card game-based player. Um, we're doing a lot of flesh and blood videos recently. Really like the game. I've been playing a lot more flesh and blood, which is very good. Though I do have videos for other card games in the works. Um, there's some Legend of the Five Rings stuff coming um, soon, which will be about what the Jade Council is doing with their new name and, and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm just waiting for them to announce all those things so that we can start talking about it um and then there'll be some ashes reborn stuff probably in a few weeks time uh because i you know i just i, I really want to play it in person before i start talking about it too much but today's video we're going to talk about flesh and blood specifically monarch you'll see i've got this lovely new backdrop for my videos which is of course the monarch art design uh for flesh and blood you have the logo and you have uh, the game logo as well, uh, which I'll be using just for these videos. Uh, but you know, you can turn off. Uh, I'm not doing any visuals really for this video, so you can always just tune in on audio. Or if you're listening via the podcast, which I should upload this to uh, later on today, uh, then you can listen to that. Uh, and just you know, hopefully, my voice is uh, soothing enough. I've been told it's reasonably comfortable. So, topic for today is Monarch First Edition. Uh, experience so far, supply, demand, what I think is going to happen next. So let's just start off quickly by talking about the pre-releases. I have been to three, um, and I have another one coming up on this Friday. It was delayed just due to supply issues, but, you know, it is coming up. And, um, you know, really excited to get my teeth stuck into another one of these. Um, I've really enjoyed playing all three of them. In my first one, I played Levia. Uh, things did not go particularly well. Uh, I got some good Majestics. I got about 13 six strength cards and about 12 cards that banished stuff and a fairly decent pool. I didn't get a lot of very good Majestic six strength cards, which was annoying, uh, but I felt like I had enough to build a deck. Um, and the first game, you know, I absolutely smashed it every turn, coming in for six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, but then every game after that was downhill. And then for my last game, I actually rebuilt into my chain pool. Um, and actually had a much better game, so I probably should have been playing Chain from the start. Uh, the other one, I built up a Prism deck, uh, but that was more of an informal event uh, because the the store cancelled the event. We weren't sure if the kits were going to arrive, so people just, the ones who got the kits on the day when they were supposed to come, um, essentially just played a few casual games. I was playing with Prism, I think, and then I played a bit with Chain. And then for my second proper pre-release, which was on a Sunday, um, you know, I opened a really good chain pool. I opened some Rip Through Realities, Vexing Hexes, uh, Dimensional Crossroads, um, just one of those. And of course, you know, I got I got the Null Rune, um, the Spell Void Helm, I got the Etherweave Chest, I got um, you know, time skipper boots. I got I got everything. I got some really good stuff. Um so I kind of went in with that deck and I went uh three one, so I got to the final and came second. I won a doomsday playmat. Um, which is gorgeous. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Um, I've also won a Katsu playmat around here somewhere, which I should probably sell because I've, you know, I like Ninja, but I'm I'm not. I don't need a playmat uh, for that. Um, so yeah, I've got my other pre-release coming up on Friday. I'm kind of hoping maybe I'll get a strong Bolton pool because he's the only one I haven't really tried yet. Um, I mean, just to say, my initial impressions of um, Monarch Sealed is it's fantastic. Like, at first glance, Prism just seems overpowered because all of her attacks are strong and there's no easy way to shut them down. Uh, but then you start looking at Bolton and you realise he's really aggressive and if he gets a good draw, he can just keep coming in for more and more attacks. And then, 
you know, you get a bit caught up in that. But then you look at Chain, and Chain is just, okay, well, I flipped the top five cards of my deck, and suddenly I'm hitting you five times because i got enough go again. And then I've seen Levy as just tear people apart. I don't think it's entirely balanced. I think, you know, for reasons of low six-cost density outside of Levia, especially in the neutral, in the generics, I think the Prism is definitely favoured. Um, but I think it's very easy to build a good Prism deck, and I think that's why you're seeing Prism win a lot. Um, the Iris is very good with shields, giving consistent damage. All of her uh, Heralds going into the Soul are consistent for shields, and it's very hard to stop them unless you're playing Brute. Um, so, you know, Prism is definitely a hard matchup, but you can beat them by just being more aggressive than they are and putting pressure on so they can't attack you as much. Um, and that's certainly what we're seeing with the Bolton players and the Chain players who are taking them down. So I think the set is balanced. I have really, really enjoyed it. And you know what? I would really love to run some more Sealed down the line now that I've played a few events, um, maybe in two, three weeks. Um, of the Monarch stuff that's going on, I have been playing a bit of CC on TTS. I have a Prism deck. I have two Prism decks, in fact, one that is more um, aura-focused and blues and yellows and iris of reality, and another one that's more attack-focused with Luminaris in the works. Um, I will probably do a video on those in a week or two. I kind of want to try them and refine them a bit before I start putting my name to them and putting them out there. Because the other video I did was like a first glance, but, you know, this one, I want it to be a bit more polished and actually be like, well, maybe other people can test this deck. And I feel like if I just put it out there without doing the testing myself, I'm not really doing the best I can. Uh, but I will say I have, well, I originally went into the set loving Prism, loving the art, loving the Heralds, all that stuff really caught me. Um, I've been really surprised by how much I have enjoyed playing Chain in all the pre-releases. And I really now have just been converted to this idea that I'm just going to be, you know, banishing half my deck and playing loads of abilities and all this sort of stuff. Chain just seems really, really fun. And Bolton as well seems really, really fun, though I haven't had a chance to play him yet. So I can definitely see myself really getting on hard um, with this Monarch bandwagon. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, my, my ninja set, my Katsu set, I'm just, I'm not really feeling Katsu is as fun as Chain. So, you know, if you want to buy a Mask of Momentum, hit me up, I guess. Uh, and my Kano set will still be there. And obviously Kano is my first hero in this game and my favorite hero. Um, but I don't really see myself playing Kano until Wizard gets more support, maybe the next set or the set afterwards. I just feel like um, I don't know how he's going to play in this new meta and... I still think he'd be good in Blitz, but I'm looking really hard into CC right now. And I'm not really sure if I can see myself playing Kano as much in CC as I can play a Prism or Chain or something with a bit more sort of aggression and a bit more sort of health. Let's be honest, a bit, a bit more health. Um, so yeah, let's go with that. In terms of pulls from the pre-release, um, I wasn't necessarily amazing on the pulls. I can kind of, I guess I can show them to you here. These are kind of the real pulls. Um, I obviously got a load of good rares that pushed me into different things. But if we look, you'll see... Oh, where are we now? Uh, here we go. <laughs> Let me just hold this up here. Yeah, you'll see I have Shadow of Basphemet. Uh, I have a Shadow of Ursa. I have a Foil Seek Horizon. Uh, a Foil Pulping in there. Um, the rest of these are just common foils. Um, you know, Tear Limb from Limb on the Brute side. Whoop. Sorry, getting this in the camera is fine. You know, pulping. There's a Techno Foundry Heart open last week as well. Uh, that doesn't really matter. Uh, a Raiden as well. Um, dimensional Crossroads. Uh, but of course, my best pull of the entire week was that Cold Foil uh, Vestige of Soul that I pulled, which um, I have already sent off to be graded because I think it's a gorgeous card and 
to be honest the one i pulled was pretty much in, in mint condition so um, i'm pretty confident that that's going to get a good grade um which i can then store for a while but i will be playing prism so i may use it um i may trade it um and some other stuff to get a prism um unlimited majestic uh, legendary set um but you know it, it i may hold on to it for a while we'll see we'll see how that goes i'm not i'm not some big whale collector i do like to i have a few cold foils in various stages of grading and you know in my collection and so i'm selling uh so if you want a, a cold foil viscerite and reaping blade combination uh do hit me up um but this does I mean this whole cold foil discussion does bring us back to i guess the talk about first edition and the talk about supply and demand of flesh and blood and the talk about accessibility collectability what's supposed to be happening with all of those things in this new game that we all play so let's talk about supply and demand first because i think that's an interesting topic a lot of people have been speculating that the first so we have a rough idea and I, I can read these numbers out for you from the collector center because um we know specifically the print run numbers for each of the sets right um you know they told us we know the print run numbers for each of the sets um we know that uh crucible had nine hundred thousand booster packs we know that arcane rising had four hundred thousand and we know that uh alpha edition of Welcome to Wraith had 400,000. These are the first edition prints. So a lot of people are expecting and predicting that Monarch is going to be 900,000 plus another 500,000 or something. They think it's going to be maybe 0.5 extra times uh, Crucible size because Crucible of War still sells for a thousand pounds a box. It's still a very de desirable set, right? Whereas, you know, Welcome to Wraith first edition, um, Arcane Rising first edition both sell for about 4K a box and um you know are much harder to get now i disagree with that for a very simple reason um and the reason is this my logic is just that crucible was printed in two waves because they didn't have time to get unlimited ready because they were busy with monarch um and no set is going to be printed in two waves for first edition and i feel like going from four hundred thousand to nine hundred thousand of a first edition print run given that they had to order monarch probably a year in advance um which is as i understand it how long it takes to get a card game printed especially in the modern world with print shortages the idea that they would commit to 1.5 uh, was more like 1.1 times um or is it two no 2.1 times the printing of their previous set when ordering monarch just seems a bit unrealistic so my personal bet is they're going to have gone for maybe a 30 to 40 percent increase we'll see 600 to 700 thousand boosters printed um which will be like you know 60 thousand boxes and that may and I, you know i kind of feel like that reflects what we're seeing in terms of actual market supply and demand you know the uk was heavily allocated with stores getting like 10 percent of their orders a store says 40 50 boxes that's a good order one store gets 120 that's great america's been getting four or five thousand at certain retailers but most others have been getting what a couple hundred uh we know that it hasn't even arrived in new zealand yet you know there's there's supply and demand issues but it seems like there might also just be a lot less um first edition than you know people realize and will there be a second wave printing of first edition there will not because unlimited is coming out a month later and now we're probably even shorter and i think it's coming out next week if you're in new zealand because first edition's been delayed but my point is unlimited is always supposed to be the set that fills everyone's boots with monarch that is coming out a month later why do you need to print a lot more of the first edition right and do you take the gamble 
right to print a lot more of first edition and i don't i don't think you do i don't think as a new games company on your third set you take a gamble at printing you know 120 percent more of the product that you printed previously right or you know double or triple what you printed previously for a first edition set i think you commit to 30 to 40 percent you don't want to flood the market you don't want to risk all the collectors investors have joined in your game you're turning off the game so you just you print you print a reasonable amount right you print a reasonable increase 30 to 40 percent you know your game's popular a year in advance you can't predict the price of crew so you just say okay 30 to 40 percent higher and that's what i'm going to go with if i'm wrong and they've correctly printed that crucible was going to go way way up as it did um and they're you know they really want a lot more first edition out there uh and they're not really trusting unlimited to get people as interested in the game then maybe they printed loads more of first edition monarch but i'm not seeing it i'm not seeing it i think if they printed as much first edition in the first wave um of monarch as they did for crew uh you wouldn't have supply problems in the uk for example i think we would have we would have gotten more than the you know couple thousand i think we've got two or three thousand boxes um after just adding up all the stores and how much they're talking about getting so i think i think you would have seen a lot more than that um and i think the fact that the eu has been allocated quite hard um that supply is quite short even for some stores outside of certain large ones in the us um and we'll talk we'll talk about that in a second so i think that's very much indicates that you know monarch is not the huge print run that some people are claiming it is but it is probably still larger i mean we're talking 30 to 40 percent larger we're you know we were shooting around that you know seven seven thousand to eight thousand you know eight hundred thousand booster pack mark right i just that just feels right to me um because you don't as a people making a new product want to overinflate supply to, especially when it's a tradable commodity because you don't want you know to dilute the amount that is actually available and therefore render people's collections um render people's collections uh null and void and there's another thing that makes me think this which is just very very simple um i you know tcg player right tcg player rudy all the ones that have partnerships with lss right have by no fault of their own you know they're all business people likely had conversations with lss about supply and demand of monarch first edition right they can't not have it's, it's their business so you if you've had those discussions supply and demand with lss um and they know that you're selling this product for five times so a box is usually about a hundred dollars in america um you're selling that product for five times msrp as an official partner remember channel fireball selling it for that much they are the people who distribute um lss promos in america we have you know tcg player who were given special dispensation to send out pre-release at home kits due to covid two people in america which clearly had to have special permission from lss because they're the only people who were sending out boxes pre-release date remember all of us who actually went to pre-releases we got six packs people in america who bought the pre-release at home kit got a box i mean that's a huge difference um a week in advance so you know that that tells you something about their discussions with lss would lss have let their partners sell this for five times retail if there was a larger print run than we've seen before or a larger second wave would they have done it or would they have said guys look there's actually a lot more supply this time you know can you can you keep it down to msrp there's going to be enough for everyone that conversation would simply just have happened right um or there would be more supply and and the price would be lower the fact that we're seeing 500 dollars per box slash or more now 
from LSS associated people means that Monarch is not as big a print run as some people are predicting. It's that simple. And, you know, this is on pre-orders as well. It took Crucible how long to get to 1,500 or whatever it's at now? The fact is that boxes are not supposed to be above MSRP before re before retail. They're, they're, not, they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be available for people at that price and then marked up afterwards. And the fact that we're seeing it marked up so high before by LSS-associated retailers means that there is a supply shortage that has not been corrected. That's as simple as it is. And people keep saying a monarch's going to keep going up. But, I mean, you have to think about it this way, right? All that's happening at the moment is that all of that speculation about increasing has shifted to the stores because the stores were annoyed that they lost out all the money when Crucible went up if they didn't keep a stock for themselves or all the money on Alpha by not keeping a stock for themselves. We're not going to see as huge a spike in Monarch post you know, release because the stores have already, we've already seen a lot of that speculation pre-release. Not, not to say that it won't go up, but, you know, will it hit 4K? You know, it's not selling for anywhere near that now. So we'll see. And there are a few other factors, of course, how much gets opened, all that kind of stuff will determine how well this sells in the future and how much it sells for. But I think it's worth, worth just factoring in when you are buying Monarch for, 500 600 dollars a box or 300 400 pounds in the uk that a lot of the growth potential for that product that asset class has already happened before you have purchased it from the store right it's like buying a stock when it's already gone up you know it could go down in fact and this is what i want to come back to um we are actually seeing prices drop for monarch first edition on ebay you know on online as people are actually getting the product into their hands because there are a lot of people who bought first edition strictly with the intent of selling the box. They don't actually play flesh and blood. They've just heard that it's a good way to speculate. Um, and, you know, they wanted to just try and flip it. And they're selling it for $300, $400. They don't care. They bought it for $100. If they sell it for $300, $400, that's a quick buck. They can put it. They move on to the next investment, right? There's a lot of that going on. And the market price is going to drop for a bit. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to buy it at $300 hold it for a while so you know if you're one of those people who doesn't need to sell it right now it's probably a good idea to actually hold on to those boxes for another month or two let all the people who are gonna open them open them let all the people who are gonna sell out quickly just to move on to the next investment sell out and see where it ends up before you make any decision now it could still crash i'm not a financial advisor i'm not even a tcg investor i am you know at best i'm a telecoms business analyst right you know i know a bit about business i know how to bundle and segment and do all that market stuff that people do to figure out whether a product is good whether a product is healthy and i know how to work out volumes versus sales and costs and all that sort of spreadsheet stuff because that's what i do for a living um you know, as, as well as doing like mass market surveys and anecdotal and gathering qualitative evidence. So, you know, when I say I'm basing an opinion not based on data, but I'm basing it based on anecdotes um, and things like that, you know, I have a process for reviewing anecdotes and deciding which ones I think are legitimate and which ones I think aren't. Um, and that kind of brings us to my next topic, um, which is collectability of this game, right? So we have talked about supply. Don't think Monarch is going to be as big a print run as some people say it is. But there are clearly supply issues because it's selling for £500 pre-release, right? That is that is indicative that the stores that are selling it are predicting the supply issue and basically want to get more money before it sells. There's a recap of my previous point. So, if that is the case, 
We, we assume that it is for now. What does that say to us about the future viability of flesh and blood as a collector's product for, you know, for, for your, your typical collectors, right? Now, let's talk about collectors kind of in two or three different categories. I think this is kind of interesting. So you've got the high-level financial-level speculators that Magic has created over the past, you know, 20, 20-odd 20 years, 30-odd uh, years, I guess. Um, these are the people who buy en masse. They have a large amount of capital. You know, you talk about your alpha investments if you want. There are plenty of others like them. They're the people you see posting photos of their 20 cold foil hearts and their, you know, 15 cold foil, you know, and their alpha blocks and their, oh, I have 20 cases of alpha unlimited. I haven't sold, you know, not alpha unlimited. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're those people. They're the people who have a lot of money already. They probably invest in other things and they've realized that actually flesh and blood is probably a good way to make a bit of money and it seems to be going up and it seems to be investable and they may not even play the game that much they may not even like the game that much but they see it as an investment and they probably know a bit about cards and they're willing to invest their time in it right and some of them will play the game and some of them will know a lot about the game and you know there'll be a whole range but that's not really the point to focus on the point is to just focus upon the amount of money those people are willing to spend and also the amount of energy those people are like the amount of basically energy those people are willing to expend to keep the prices at a point where their investment is maintained. So they understand a very simple fact, right? A coal foil is worth, you know, whatever a coal foil is worth, I mean, 6,000, right? If they have 20 coal foils that are worth 6,000, then the price drops to 5,000, they lose, you know, 20,000 pounds. If they buy, again, drive the price up a little, you know, then the price may stay constant and they can control the market in that way by not selling their own supply because we're talking about a very, very limited commodity about, what, 2,500 or certain cold foils. You know, it's very, very easy for some people with big wallets to control supply of a commodity like that and just drip feed it back into the market at a certain price. You know, and that's what works in Magic. There is an issue with flesh and blood and collecting. Now, some people may disagree this is an issue, but I, I personally think this is an issue, right? Is that in Magic, you have essentially a very organic growth cycle for collection. You have people who start with modern Magic. They get a small collection to go together. They start to enjoy the feeling of collection. They build a small collection of those cards, and then their cards become modern, right? And they start thinking, okay, well, I could play modern with these cards I've got that I really like. I have my amazing Merfolk collection. Uh, so I'm going to collect more Merfolk. And they start expanding, expanding into modern Merfolk. And they start to get all these things. I'm just using the Merfolk as an example. I haven't played Magic in, oh, I mean, two hours because I was drafting a bit of Strixhaven on Arena. But I haven't really played Magic properly in, in years. Um, but my point is that there is a natural pathway to go from small-scale collector to large-scale collector in Magic, where you're building your collection slowly. It ages, as does your appreciation of the game. And by the time you start thinking about acquiring, say, the you know, 20-year-old Merfolk Commander or whatever the card is that would go perfectly in your now legacy deck because you've been playing Magic for five years, and those cards you bought when they were standard are now you know, went to modern and then shifted into an older set when more stuff became available. By the time you begin considering that purchase, your level of investment is very, 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 very high. Okay, because you are invested in the game as a player, you're invested in the set that you've collected and wanting to finish it as a collector, and you're willing to invest more in those expensive or power-heavy cards, right? 
stickiness. Stickiness drives the organic progression of collectors as you go from one thing to the next to the next. And the only thing that interferes with that is basically a stopping point where your desire to collect is matched or beaten by your potential and your the ability you have to collect, right? And what I mean by that is if suddenly the cards you're buying, you know, you, you know, you're you're used to spending twenty to two hundred pounds per card to build up a decent collection, and suddenly someone else turns around and asks you for a thousand pounds a card, you might go and say, Okay, I can stretch to that once, right? Because this might be the, the crowning card. But if someone turns around and asks you for two thousand pounds for a card, you might be like, Well, that's that's a hundred hundred times more what I've paid before, so I, I can't do that. I've you know, I'm used to buying twenty pounds a card, I'm not gonna buy them, right? If someone asks you for 20 grand a card, you're just going to laugh and say, no, that's not happening. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. Okay. But if you slowly build up your spend and, and move forward and suddenly you buy a thousand pound card and okay, the next year there's another thousand pound card for a steal. So you buy that and then suddenly you've got two thousand pound cards. So buying another two thousand pound card, it kind of makes sense. And now your collection's doubled and you, you know, really wanted it, finish things off. Okay. So let's move away from the magic example where you've had five years of collectability and let's move to what's happening in flesh and blood, right? Okay. Because, and here's, here's, this is where we get important, right? Because we do have two distinct sets in flesh and blood, the first edition and the unlimited. Okay. Now, if you are a collector, are you happy collecting a full set of unlimited? Does it tick your boxes? And this is a genuine question. You can ask answer me in the in the comments. Does it tick your boxes? Does it make you feel good? Do you feel like you've achieved something? Or are you always looking at first edition being like, well, why can't I have that? I thought that was for collectors. Right? So, and that's a big question. So this is where we come down to the anecdotal evidence because I've been having conversations. I've been reading Wall Street. I've been reading the UK Discord. I've been talking to people. And the stories are starting to add up. The stories of people who are, you know, they were light-level collectors in Magic or another card game, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever. They were a light-level collector. They were willing to buy a set, maybe dinos or, you know, merfolk or zombies or planeswalkers, you know, something. They were willing to collect something. They saw flesh and blood come around. They were like, well, you know, maybe I spent £5,000 in that set you know, in magic. Okay, cool. I can sell that collection. I'm going to start collecting flesh and blood. I'm in at the ground level, right? I can collect. I'm here. I'm here when, you know, maybe not when Welcome to Wraith Alpha came out, but maybe you were here for first edition Ark, or you were here for first edition Crucible, and you almost had a set. You almost had a full set, or maybe you got a first edition full set of Ark, and you started collecting Crucible, right? You go into Crucible, and in between the time that you start collecting Crucible, thinking, hey, I can I can do this. I've got a full set of all the commons. I've got a full set of all the cold foil um, uh, majestics, uh, and I've got most of the cold foil legendaries. And then you turn around, and Shiana just jumps to what six thousand when she's not as rare as Crucible Tunic, or I mean they're about the same rarity. Shard is it what ten thousand now? And suddenly you know the the gap. So I mean you've got five hundred for. Um, this cold foil rare you know and you've got all of those but suddenly the gap to make that jump to finish the set just becomes so out of reach so you know you you step back from crucible you're like okay well now i can't finish this full set of crucible what do i do and you're like well okay but maybe you know maybe there's always gonna be one or two maybe the fabled is just too much and you're kind of like okay i can live with not getting the fabled 
or the most rare card from the set if that's just going to be stupid right but new set coming out right you're feeling optimistic you've got this new set coming out on the ground level you know your lgs is going to sell to you for 100 quid a box because she's your mate and you've already talked it over and you'll be able to pick up a few boxes elsewhere right okay you've got a plan how many boxes do you need to guarantee getting a fable okay maybe you're not going to chase a fable how many do you need to get a play set of cold foil uh legendaries with a bit of trading maybe what five cases okay so you set aside uh five cases 100 quid a box someone uh, do the math for me is that 20 grand or so no 20 grand two grand or something um uh sorry four grand yeah good maths not my strong suit at this time of day um especially when i've been working during the day so okay so you set aside four grand you're like okay i'm gonna find myself 40 boxes um i'm gonna sign myself five cases i'm gonna open up those you know i'll trade some legendaries i'll spend a bit more on singles that'll get me i'll be done right and i won't get the fabled i've seen that's ridiculous that's okay but then we're in the lead up to monarch right and you start seeing okay well i've got the eight boxes from my i've secured we'll say you secured two cases from your local game shop right but two cases from a local game shop and i've got another case from the one down the road okay cool let's get the other you know three or four cases i need to finish off this collection with packs okay so you head down the road okay but this shop's selling it for 200 pounds and it's all sold out okay cool um that's a bit puzzling and you go a bit further down the road okay well this shop's selling it for 300 pounds and it's all sold out too okay cool so where can i still get this oh 400 pounds from you know big online retailer 500 dollars in america for one box okay well i mean my dream of getting five cases and, and collecting this set is starting to drift further out of reach i mean you know how much am i expected to spend on this before i can make a collection you know is it is it is it five thousand is it ten thousand um you know 15 20 what's 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 my upper limit here and then you start to think, okay, well, I couldn't finish Crucible, and that went too expensive too fast, and now I can't find any Monarch. Am I supposed to be collecting this game? You know, I thought I was a... And I'm not talking about myself, obviously, because I know I know what I am. Um, I'm, I was, you know, but I, I'm a person who has 10 grand to spend on a collecting a game, right? I'm a person who has 15 grand disposable income to spend on collecting a new card game. Am I not the target demographic for this product? Am I not the target for this new card game as a collector? Like, do they do they off the bat think that this new game is worth, you know, people spending a hundred grand on? Like, wh what is happening here? And, you know, where's the jump? Like, I guess, okay, so what this comes down to is essentially people saying that actually when they looked at the prices of Monarch First Edition and how hard it was going to be to collect that, after already struggling with Crucible and not being able to finish a set, they have just said to me, to be honest, at that point, I realised I wasn't going to be a collector of, of Flesh and Blood. Not of Monarch First Edition, not of Alpha or of Crucible, of Flesh and Blood. I was not going to be a collector of Flesh and Blood, and I've seen at least three listings of nearly complete Crucible First Editions go up for sale on you know, on the discords with people trying to sell the collection they had started and not finished because they've realized they cannot collect this game. And I'm not talking about people who don't have money. And this is important. I'm not talking about people who don't have money. I'm talking about people who have money, but clearly flesh and blood is not 
for them to buy which doesn't really make sense um because it's a new game it shouldn't be commanding that level of market authority so that's troubling to me um because we talked about a progression of organic growth from player to collector to big time collector or at least mid-level collector there's always going to be the whales in the ocean you know the people with hundreds of thousands to spend on card games and to a certain extent those people can dictate whatever market prices they like but you know we're talking about two or three different things okay we're talking about high volume slightly smaller trades so that's if your coal foil legendaries are selling for a couple of, you know 2000 each right you could sell you have lots of people buying and selling them small time collectors mid-level collectors are picking up a few to finish off their sets they couldn't get from boxes there's lots of trade and there's high volume everyone's happy people buying and selling good markets collectors are happy people are happy then you have the other one where a coal foil is worth 20 grand and who's buying them some people are sitting on collections if they drop below a certain price they seem to get snatched up but mid-level collectors aren't naturally growing you know people are just saying that's too expensive and not getting into the collection game at all and where does the growth come is what i'm saying because when i'm when we're talking to people and they're saying oh i might collect flesh and blood that seems fun we just say collect collect unlimited like collect unlimited you can get a full full play set it's not gonna be that expensive and people are coming to us and saying but flesh and blood seems way too expensive like i saw a card yesterday selling for 20 grand and we're saying look it's okay you can get unlimited too but you know if no one can get first edition except for the super whales then half of the excitement of the game for collectors except at the very highest level just sort of fades so i think there's a problem here um the solution is like in the cards it is just slowly increasing supply to the point where in three or four sets time you can buy you know monarch or whatever the set's called kingdoms five we'll call it um for msrp for at least a week after it comes out and then it slowly starts to increase and supply is basically big enough to match demand for a while until a lot of it is opened and essentially then flesh and blood first edition becomes the regular magic collector's set which you see steady growth of over a few months right or a few years and that is where we need to get to but it is quite damaging at this stage in a game's growth for a lot of people who could be collectors of this game to be turned off by supply issues i think that's what i kind of want you to take away from this video um i don't know if i have any other sort of main point here i think that's just kind of the main takeaway i think um is just that i want you to start thinking about where the organic growth for this game comes in because we've got two or three ways that people like interacting with tcgs we have as a player and playership will increase slowly over time as people hear about the game it will not you know, people will be put off by the high price tags of cards. You can't really help that um, at the moment, except by increasing supply. But as long as Unlimited holds true to its course, then we're good on that front. But there are a lot of people who do not just play TCGs, tr you know, trading card game, collectible card game. They don't just play TCGs to play them. They play them to collect them. And a lot of those people are being left out in the cold by how quickly the Monarch First Edition prices are going up. And if we end up in a situation where all of the coal foils are being snapped up by large-scale investors who just see their future in this game, who are keeping the prices high for themselves, and you know there's very low movement after they've done their acquisition phase, then really 
you know, there's a whole side of this game that's just going to have disappeared and been killed by large amounts of money. It's not an easy solution to solve. I just think it's an interesting problem to discuss. There are ways to do things about it, like making, you know, most of the first edition be done in events rather than in sealed um, stores selling boxes opened rather than, um, you know, with the with the foil removed rather than, um, you know, intact. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of interesting stuff being done in things like Pokemon, where a store will, will not sell you a sealed box, um, especially not at retail. Um, if you want it, you have to buy it in the store, but the plastic wrap will be removed, so you can't sell it. Uh, sell it on. Uh, there'll be all these other kind of things. Um, you know, and... You know, just that whole kind of whole kind of thing. Um, it's... Um, it's just a problem. There's lots of little problems with this game at the moment, uh, which have me a bit concerned. Um, I have a lot of confidence because it, obviously it's a great game to play. I've been really enjoying it. Monarch brings so many fantastic new things. But I think it is worth just acknowledging these points of friction uh, when they come up because LSS is going to have to be good at finding a solution to them. And I think they are. Like, I don't want to put the company down. Like, this is a company that has impressed me at every turn with the way it's worked right it has air freighted stuff when it was delayed it's communicating really well it's working with communities stores and distributors to find solutions like for example in my last video i talked about the uk pre-releases being delayed but you know in this video i don't get to talk about that because i attended three pre-releases because LSS called the distributors and were like, look, we really need you to make something work. And the distributors in LSS found a way to get the stuff to the stores on the Friday and then get it out to us for the Saturday and Sunday pre-releases. And, like, Asmodee wouldn't have done that with any of their LCGs. Uh, well, no, I, I'm being a bit cruel. The FFGOP team was actually quite good, and they did get pre-release kits. They did get tournament kits out to people who needed them, you know, by air freight when needed. But, you know, Wizards, do they care that much? There's a lot of companies that would not go to that effort for us. So we appreciate it. And that's important. Plus the communications, talking about delays openly, talking about problems openly. You know, their, their marketing team is really good, really on point. And it's refreshing to see. So I lord LSS. They've made a great game. You know, they've made, they've been communicating well. I expect that this problem, I will not be talking about it in two years' time. But for now, it is definitely a point of friction, which is the cost of sets and the cost of cards. And it is leading to a lot of fluctuation. People were offering buys of 1 to 2k on Monarch Coldfoil Legendaries yesterday. Today, they're offering buys of 350 because a lot of people are trying to sell them. And a lot of investors are thinking, okay, well, I can buy low because people are trying to get the cost of their packs back. You know, should you sell your Coldfoil Legendary for $300? I will say no to that. Unless you desperately need the money, you should probably just put that somewhere and wait for things to calm down, and then we'll see how much it's really worth. I suspect 300 will not be how much it's worth. I suspect it will be worth a bit more. But I would also quite like it if the price for these kind of things would equalize around three to 400 quid. You know, three to 400 pounds for a, for a cold foil legendary from the latest set, you know, is a good price for me. For a collector, for someone who's looking to build up a set, that's, I think, a reasonable, that's an achievable price. 20k per card? That's not. That's a joke. Like, 
you know, it's great. It's a it's a two year old card game. No card should be worth twenty k for a two year old card game. It was only printed like last year. Um, <laughs> you know, you, there's a card here. This card printed worth years, worth more than money printed last year. You know, just where's the logic there? Um, now I know people are going to do videos and market economics and all those kind of things. I know about supply and demand, but I'm talking about things that are healthy for a game versus things that are healthy for supply and demand and those are those are different like i'll fully admit that the market sets the price and 20k is what something's worth if it's what it's worth but should it be that's a that's a different question that's the realm that i'm operating in so my last comment and this is for people who've stuck around as a bit of a bonus content um i'm gonna talk about the recent pre-release that happened in the uk and how much of a shit show it was so I'm not going to name stores in this, though obviously uh, everyone in the UK will know the store that I'm talking about. But I went to and I talked to a lot of people who were playing in a lot of different pre-releases. And in the majority, people showed up to pre-releases. Right? We had a few cases of packs didn't arrive in time, so I can't come. Maybe two, three people per event. That's just the nature. We've had shipping delays in the UK. We had a few cases of... I, you know, the event was on this day. We had to move it. I can't make the new event, but can I have my packs anyway? Because I paid, because I, you know, secured a place months ago. Sure, you can. That's fine. Work it out. And then, you know, so we had, I would say for most events that had like a 28 person kit, they would have got 25 people. For a 16 person kit, they would have got 14, 15 people, right? All well and good. People are showing up for events. Not a lot of people scalping, taking the packs you know people showing up that's great 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 that's what you wanted to see we wanted we didn't want scalpers buying packs and selling them online we wanted people coming and playing the game right and then and then we have this event at a large london shop noted to be the biggest single pre-release in the uk you can look it up i'm not naming the name but you know 48 player kit largest given for remote event play any any shop any shop in the uk right you know other stops i told you 32 maybe highest 32 highest 32 usually 16 16 is a good number usually 16 sometimes 32 a few of the smaller 24s like but but not 48 48 is the biggest they got three kits they got six playmats to give out and they got 48 by six whatever that is they got that many boosters box boxes right it was a lot it's you know I'm not going to say it's more than some stores. Well, no, I will. I'll just go ahead and say it. The amount they got for the pre-release is more than some stores in the UK have been allocated to Monarch first, right? Now, I wish I could say that event went off without a hitch. I wish I could say everyone showed up and we had the biggest pre-release in the UK online, on webcam, as much as you can do in Corona. You know, we had 48 people. It was fantastic. Hard competition, etc., etc. It didn't fucking happen. Sorry, I shouldn't swear, but it just didn't happen. How many people showed up for that pre-release out of the 48 that was that were planned 13 we got 13 who showed up now okay three people messaged and said look the product didn't arrive i'm really sorry i'd love to play but i can't that brings us up to what 16 where's the other like where where where's you know where is the other 32 people right okay now i don't want to you know I, I don't like giving out to stores but realistically the due diligence was not done on this this event right to the level that it was supposed to be there were five people on the list with names that look made up now i'm sorry if there's a family out there with you know mum and dad you know will and you know sarah uh son will jr uh other son dylan 
um, you know, brother Matthew all playing in the same event. You know, I'm sorry if there's a Smith family out there that has that many people interested in flesh and blood. You guys are great. Come on the podcast. We'll interview you. It'll be fantastic. Tell us about the whole family plays flesh and blood together. It'll be heartwarming. It'll be our Christmas episode in July. But I'm sorry. I'm just going to call bullshit. Half the names on that list look made up. I can, you know, I've got the list saved. They've been shared with LSS. Half the names on that list look made up. It's fucking ridiculous. Sorry, it's weird again. Shouldn't do this on YouTube, but my stuff is marked not for kids. So here we are. People signed up for that event with fake names, you know, just to get packs. You know, I'm sorry, but if you see five people down there with the last name Smith, if you see two Will Smiths, are you not going to check with them? You know, you're not going to talk to them a bit, try and figure out if they're legit. You know, was the due diligence done? Were card credit cards checked, addresses checked, all that kind of stuff? I wonder, because all the stores I know, the smaller stores, they were looking in, they were checking, they were making sure. They were like, okay, well, there's two orders to that address, so I'm cancelling that order, and I'm sorry if you live with your girlfriend, but. You know, if I know you, I can make that work. You're my local. We can talk about it on Facebook. If, if you haven't told me and you've just ordered two to the semi cancelled. Okay, done. Right? Sorted. But here we are. 48 people. 13 showed up. 16 accounted for. That's total. And then you've got all these names that look made up. And they haven't been questioned. They haven't been checked. They haven't been asked. Response. Make sure they're real people. You know, check, make sure they're not post boxes or rented, whatever, you know, bollocks. Um, you know, what happened? What happened? There's a massive, colossal failure. And what went from the possible, the flagship event of the UK meta just fell apart in front of our eyes. And we thought it was a joke because we were there and it's like, well, no one showed up. What the, what the hell's going on? We were in chat. It's like, do we get it wrong? Do we get the date wrong? Where's all the people? Right. But it went ahead, you know, and. You know, it was a good event. I came second. It was fun. I had a great fun. I had a great pull. Um, and loads of cold foils were pulled, which is great because it means that those packs that went to the people who didn't show up probably didn't have the cold foil legendaries that we all got for showing up for the event. But it still feels bad. So, you know, this is a Corona problem. This is a UK problem because we're doing events remotely. But it's a, it was a problem. It was a really big problem. And I, you know, I have to ask what more could have been done. And I hope LSS is looking into the store that ran this and asking them what more could have been done. What did they do to make sure people showed up? Because, I mean, I like my local stores and I want them to succeed, but I also want them to pay attention and, you know, make events that are worth doing and put in the time and make it worth my energy to show up, you know. And if you've sold that many tickets to an event that people just didn't show up to, you know, hard questions should be asked of you. I'm sorry, I don't want you to get in trouble, but hard questions should be asked about what you've been doing and who who those people were and how much you checked to make sure they weren't just people who buying the tickets and not showing up. And also what you're going to do to those people in the future. If any of them try and sign up for the Kingdom pre-release or for Kingdom pre-orders on boxes, you know, they should be blacklisted. If they haven't got in touch with you to tell you that they couldn't make it because the packs hadn't arrived with some form of proof, if they're doing it now after the fact, so they're not just saving their asses, then they should be blacklisted from something. There should be some form of penalty. And that's all, I mean, that's all I'm really going to say on this subject. I think um, I've kind of gone on a bit of a rant now, which 
you know, I'm fine with because sometimes I just need to get annoyed at things on the internet. But um, I feel like this is just, a, you know, it's just bad. Now, do you know who it wasn't bad for? And I'm going to end on this happy note because I think this is good. It wasn't bad for any of the players who showed up. Let's just put that out there. There were six playmats for that pre-release. They all had to be given out, right? We had 13 people show up. And I think it was 14. Two dropped, but they played two rounds, so they were still eligible for the prizes. And to be fair, they dropped because they went 0-2. No hard feelings. The rest of us, you know, 14 of us, 13 of us, we played four rounds. I came second, so I won my Shadow playmat. Doomsday, awesome. Other guy who came first won the Light playmat. Great. And then the other four were raffled off to the other 10 people who were there. So out of all the pre-releases that everyone went to, ours had a 50% mat. Um, mat attendance rate 50% of the people who showed up got a playmat so all you people who are playing like two three hundred pounds for a playmat you know well you should have been at the UK pre-release that no one showed up for because guess what you might have actually won one it was pretty good odds and on that note and congratulations to all my friends who did actually win random playmats in that announcement I know you're going to appreciate them uh, I'm going to sign off this has been Steel First Speaks thank you for listening to this um I wouldn't say, I don't think this one's been a ramble. I think this one has been uh, pretty good on topic. Um, bit of pre-release, bit of, bit of market discussion, you know, that kind of thing, quite interesting. So thanks for listening. Um, as always, I'm happy to come and talk to you about things card game related. At the moment, I'm really big on flesh and blood, but I do other stuff for other card games as well. Um, I'm looking in to see about doing some streaming and things like that and talk you through some other things that are going on too. If you like this, as you know, as always, if you like this video, um, please do hit like and subscribe to the videos. That lets me know that I'm doing a good job. If there's stuff you would like to hear my thoughts on or hear me discuss, please just let me know in the comments. Um, you know, one of the reasons I enjoy making content for people is that they engage and it leads to interesting discussions that I wouldn't have been able to have without reaching out. So please help me have those discussions by talking back, I guess. And that's it. Kind of everything. Thanks for listening. And of course, please do like, share, subscribe and all that jazz to this podcast when you get a chance.